If you have your Bible with you, let's go to Psalm 139 this morning. Psalm 139. Uh, this is going to be our text for Vacation Bible School this week, and so I thought that I would just share with you what we're going to be sharing with the kids this week. And uh, so I'd like to uh, take this psalm in its entirety, so we'll read all 24 verses of it this morning. And the title is Fearfully and Wonderfully Made. Psalm 139 says, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. For thou hast possessed my reins. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God! Depart from me, therefore, you bloody men, for they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee? And am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, it is my sacred duty today to expound your word to your people. I am fully aware of my frailty and my inability, and I claim dependence upon you today, O oh Lord. I trust not in what I am or what I can do, but what you can do through me, for you are the Lord God Almighty. You are the creator, you are the sustainer, you are the master craftsman. And in your hand, even a clay, a vessel can be used for honor and for glory and for good. And so, Father, I pray and ask that you would help me to explain this text today in a way that helps us understand and grasp just how valuable we are to you. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. 
As I said, this week is Vacation Bible School here at Cedar Bluff, and uh, it's going to be based on Psalm 139, specifically verses 13 through 16, about the sanctity of human life from the womb to the tomb. What we are looking at is that in Scripture, human life has the same value from the moment of conception to the moment of expiration. It is one continuous life, and it is valuable to God. Psalm 139 is is powerful because it is packed full of theological truth uh, from the beginning to the end. And so I want to take the opportunity to explain it to you this morning. And what I actually want to do is I want to take it apart because this is genre. This genre is poetry. Your Bible is written in different types of genre, uh, literary forms. And so we have some poetic books like Proverbs, Psalms, Job, Ecclesiastes, Psalms, of Solomon and those are written a little different from prose and so because of that the the psalmist is writing in a way that that flows and catches the attention but it's not specifically linear and so what I want to do is take it apart into five different sections and kind of rearrange it so that we can see the flow and get the big picture and the main point of what's going on here. I do have to say to you that if you've read anything about Psalm 139 or you've come across it in a daily devotional, that many Bible teachers approach this psalm as primarily a theological assessment of God because some of God's attributes are specifically highlighted here. His omniscience is seen in verses 1 through 6, his omnipresence in verses 7 through 12, and his omnipotence in verses 13 through 18. And while these attributes of God are described in this psalm, it's much more than a cold theological treatise. You see, what strikes me is how very personal this psalm is. For example, if you were noticing as we read through these 24 verses, you will find 34 references to God, either by his title or by a pronoun. There's 34. That's more than one per verse. But if you go back and you read it again and you look for the personal pronouns, I, me, my, my soul, you will find 46 of them. That's almost two per verse. And so while it does explain a lot to us about God, you have to understand that the psalmist is really uh, writing a chronicle about his personal experience with God. One of the frustrations that I find as a pastor when I am trying to read theology is that sometimes there is a disconnect. That sometimes theologians who are so interested in the form and the substance and the different parts of the scripture and the theological importance that it has, that sometimes they forget that this is a personal book, that it was written to us and for us, and that we are experiencing God in a very personal way. He is not simply a subject that we are studying. He is not an object that we are observing. He is a person, the supreme being of the universe with whom we get to have a relationship with. And so we don't approach it like we approach math class. We approach it like we are approaching a date or a marriage because that is the type of relationship it is. And that's the kind of knowledge that we are gleaning and gaining from this 
personal expression of scripture and so what is the big idea of this psalm it is simply this you are valued by God you say well what's all this I mean he talks about God knowing his thoughts and how that you can't go anywhere from the Lord and how that God made him and knew him in the womb and then he talks about hating God's enemies and then he comes back and says search me God and try me I mean like what it may seem a little bit disjointed and a little bit broad but really the central idea is that you are valued by God. And so I'd like to start with verses 13 through 16. Number one, God made you. God made you. How do I know that I'm valuable to God? How do I know that God truly values me? You don't understand. I grew up uh, with a mom who took me to church, and so I was around all the churchy stuff as a kid. And so I heard it all the time. I heard the song sung, and, you know, I, I heard all the expressions. But I've got to tell you, for the longest time, many of them were trite expressions. God loves you. God loves me. Well, that's what the bumper sticker says. That's what the Sunday school teacher says. That's what the vacation Bible school says. But my life didn't feel like God loved me, right? Dad left. We're poor. I don't have the stuff that other kids have. And so there really was this disconnect. Like I, I knew that phrase. I heard that phrase. Uh, I, I knew that other people were convinced of that phrase. But I didn't see it actually played out in my life. I struggled to see the reality of it. And so maybe you're here today and you've heard that before too and you might not would stand up in front of a room full of people and say, I object, I don't believe that God values me at all but maybe in the recesses of your heart and mind sometimes you wonder, am I valuable to God? And so the psalmist is sharing with us his own personal experience with God that he is establishing for you and I how that we can know that we have value with God. And, and the first thing that I, I want to point out is you're valuable to God because God made you. God made you. That, that's what the psalmist says. One version translates verse 13 like this. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I would say that, that in this section of verses, there are three aspects that I'd like to bring out to you. The first one is the prenatal aspect. You see, verses 13 through 16 are clearly speaking about life in the womb. That, that's the context of it. It's not a newborn baby. It's not a toddler. It's not an adolescent. It is prenatal. It is in the womb. And I would say to you that life begins at conception when God weaves the DNA chain together and begins to form the inward parts. And some people may read that in a very shallow sense. Oh, he formed my inward parts. You're talking about like your stomach and your intestines and stuff. No, I think he's talking about genes and chromosomes because those are the inmost parts of you. Before the organs begin to form, there is a DNA that is unique to every human being. And even though in one family there are similarities in the DNA that can prove the genealogy, there is no exact replication of it. And that is so complex. I remember reading one time that, that, that there's only one order in which that DNA can be put together for human beings to actually exist and that it would take more years 
than what uh, the evolutionists have assigned to history if you did it by trial and error to get the right code. That's how complex it is. And God weaved it together at conception. And that, listen, scientists agree there is life that begins at conception. You know what the disagreement is? What type of life? Is it valuable life? Is it viable life? Is it actual human life? But scientifically, it's undeniable that at conception, life begins. There is a, more than a chemical reaction that takes place. And so there's the prenatal aspect of this, that, that, that your birth was no accident, no matter what your parents might have claimed. In God's sovereignty, God had you planned before the foundation of the world. Another aspect is the personhood aspect. You see, verses 13 through 16 uh, clearly recognize the personhood of a baby in the womb at every stage of pregnancy. At every stage of pregnancy. Notice how these different stages are expressed. Verse 15, my substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret, curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Uh, that's talking about the, those, those developments that are happening at the earliest stages of pregnancy. In, first, in fact, verse 16 says, thine eyes, God, did see my substance, yet being unperfect or, or, or incomplete is the word we would use today. And in thy book, in your records, all my members, all my parts were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. Right? That, that, that baby that is conceived in the womb begins to go through the gestation period. And by week six... It has all of its parts, and the only thing that happens from there is the further development of that. And so the psalmist, reading by inspiration of God, as he was not a neonatal physician, says, you know what? God knew every part of me before it was even formed in my mother's womb. But here's what I want you to consider. I want you to consider the personal pronouns again. Because this is an adult author who is writing this, and yet he says, me, my, and my soul in reference to his life in the womb. And so it is the same person before and after birth. Same person before and after birth. Right? For those who believe in the sanctity of human life, that, that's not a leap for us at all. But do you understand that there are those who do not believe that before that infant breaches the womb, that it is not the same human life as it is outside of the womb? And I'm telling you, there is a personhood aspect that is involved here that tells us there is a continuity of life from conception all the way through birth, adulthood, and even to death. And then uh, I also want to point out the paradigm aspect. The psalmist used some interesting phraseology when he says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. 
There's other words he could have used, fearfully made, wonderfully conceived or born, or, but he uses this word made, and it is language that points back to God's original creation of the human species with Adam and Eve. God literally made Adam out of the dust of the ground, the Bible says in Genesis 2-7, and God literally made Eve out of the rib, the DNA that he took out of Adam. He made those two human beings, and then he equip them to reproduce and procreate so that all future human beings would be born from their progeny. And yet the psalmist, thousands of years after the creation event, says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And what he's doing is he is drawing an unbreakable line all the way back to the origins of mankind. In that we didn't simply evolve upward out of some subspecies, but that we were uniquely made in the image and likeness of God. Genesis 1, 26 and 27 says, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And I say to you, every human being is made in the image of God. And we are made with the chromosomal combination that he wants us to have. Either it is XX or it is XY. And for us to try and change that is for us to distort the image of God that is in us. Really, we need to understand that we were uniquely created in the image of God and He made you how He wants you to be. And when we understand that we are image bearers of God and we find our identity in Him, then we will not be on this frivolous, fruitless pursuit of finding our identity in our gender identification. You see, we need to go back to the roots and understand that God values you because he made you. Not only does the psalmist say that we're valuable to God because he made us, but he also reminds us that God sees us. God sees you. And he highlights this in verses 7 through 12 when he talks about how that there's nowhere that he can go where God doesn't see him and know where he is at. You see, this psalm is not just about the sanctity of human life in the womb. It actually encompasses the totality of life. You see, life in the womb is valuable to God, but so is life outside of the womb. And sometimes people want to use that as an argument and say, well, you know, sometimes pro-lifers are all about uh, that life in the womb, but, but many of those children get born and they get born into a, a, an unfair position in life or, or they are deprived of things and, and we need to care for the whole person. And, and I would say to you that Christians have been the greatest benefactors of adoption and child ministries in the entire world. And if you disagree, the burden is on you to prove that wrong. You see, the fact is, life is valuable to God. God doesn't stop seeing a child when it is born. God sees you and I. He didn't just make us, he, he sees us. Now, sometimes we will use this cluster of verses, like when we're talking about old Jonah, right? 
Jonah was going to flee from the presence of the Lord. And we say, oh, Jonah, don't you know? There's nowhere you can go from the presence of the Lord. God sees you wherever you go, even if you're trying to run away. And sometimes we read those verses through that lens as if we are saying, hey, God's got his eye on you, and there's nowhere you can run from him. And there's no but do you understand? That's not the way in which the psalmist delivers those verses in this text. He is celebrating the fact that there's nowhere that he can go that God doesn't see him, that God loses sight of him. I, I, I would uh, illustrate it this way. As you're thinking about what the psalmist is saying about God seeing us here, it's kind of like the parent of a toddler at the playground. Right? When our kids were little, we spent a lot of times at playground because they were free, right? And they were entertaining. And so we would turn the kids loose and let them play. And, and we gave them freedom within that playground. There were things that they could do. They could climb. They could run. They could slide. They could do all kinds of stuff. And sometimes when they were little, man, they would get wrapped up in their own world and in their imagination. And they're playing and they're talking and they're doing all kinds of this stuff. And they have no idea that mom and dad are watching them in everything that they do. Not watching them so that we can yell at them in case they do something wrong. Watching them so that if something happens to them or if they're in danger, so that we can come to them and help them. And I say to you, that's the sense in which God is seeing you and I. Even if we don't realize it because we've got a freedom of choice to choose where we're going and what we are doing, uh, as a parent, he is always watching out for us. Sometimes you may not feel like anyone sees you. Sometimes you may feel like you are uh, invisible or unnoticeable. Can I assure you from God's word that God is always looking after you? Uh, one of the commentaries I, I read about this it was talking about the, the description that the psalmist used. So if I ascend up into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and go to the uttermost part of the sea, even there your hand is holding me. And uh, the commentator said this, The vertical extremities up and down and the horizontal extremities, the uttermost parts of the sea, uh, are, are part of the psalmist world view and he is expressing them when he says uh, whether he goes up to heaven down to hell or to the remotest part of the ocean God's loving eyes are always on him and I got to tell you that that's encouraging to me because there are times in life when you feel like you are alone. You feel like you don't have anybody else to depend on. You feel like nobody cares and nobody's looking. And, and even if you were to get hurt or be in a, a bad way, there's nobody running to your rescue. But the truth is God sees you. Every one of us. Third, uh, God knows you. We go back to the first six verses where the psalmist began this poem by saying, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsetting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. You see, not only does God see you from a distance, 
Not only is he just watching from up in heaven or from the sidelines of life, but he also knows you personally. It's one thing to see a person. I see people all the time that I don't know. Uh, we might even recognize them or, or, or even learn their routine. You, you, you may work in an office beside of somebody else and you don't know anything about them, but you know their routine. Can I tell you that, uh, that even in that situation, we don't know them personally. But the psalmist is saying God knows more than just what you look like. He knows more than your name. He knows more than your routine. He knows every detail of your life. Every detail. Not just the activities. Not just the situations. Not just the things that you encounter externally or physically. He knows your thoughts. He knows your feelings. He knows your hurts. He knows what is troubling you. He knows what is making you sad. He knows what is upsetting you. The psalmist said that God knew what he said and even what he thought. And I don't know about you, but I, I, I like it when someone wants to get to know me. We live in a world full of people. And, uh, and I, I'm old enough to accept this without pain. There's a lot of them that don't want to know me. Right? We, we're very good at uh, cultural courtesy. How are you doing today? I don't want to know how you're doing today. I really don't want to interrupt my day and have a counseling session with some stranger because I asked them how they're doing. You know what I want to say? All right. Fine, let's keep, keep this thing moving, keep the line moving. And so the fact is, there's a lot of people in the world that really don't care. Now, it doesn't mean that they're bad people, it just means that their plate is full. They've got a, a group of people that they do care about, and they just don't have the capacity, maybe, to care about every stranger or every person they encounter. Isn't it wonderful when you meet somebody who's really interested in you? Hey, where are you from? What's that accent? West Virginia? Really? You know, I, my dad was from West Virginia. What part of West Virginia you're from? You know, and, and when you start, isn't there something about that that is value giving? When somebody actually wants to get to know you, what do you think about this? That's interesting. I never thought about it that way. You're so insightful. I love the way you see the world. Can I tell you, that's the way God knows you. Though God created you, he allowed you this individuality in which you can develop and be your own person. And he loves getting to know about you. And so God knows you. You're valuable to him. Fourth, God cares for you. Psalm 139, verses 17 and 18, that the psalmist is, is, is trying to express what he knows about God's care for him. And he says this, How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. And by the way, this is a dude living in the Middle East. <laughs> it's not like a Virginian saying you love me more. We don't know what that's like. We got a little bit over there at Hungry Mother by the lake, but let me tell you, there's a whole lot more of that stuff in other places. And so 
he is saying that God thinks a lot about him, thinks highly of him. The words that he uses, precious means beyond appraisable value. How precious are your thoughts to me, of me, Lord. The psalmist says it's beyond appraisable. We, we can't appraise it. We can't put a price on it. Like, like how valuable does God think that I am? More valuable than you think. More valuable than you realize. It's beyond appraisable value, it says. In other words, God values you more than you can quantify. But here's a comparable. He loves you like his only son. How, how, how much does God value? How much does he love you? He loves you like he loves his only son. The other word that he uses here is, is sand. And sand is a reference that, that means God's thoughts of you are beyond calculation. right? More numerous than the sand. He is saying, listen, you can't count the grains of sand in the world. And you can't count the number of thoughts that God has about you. That, that, that triggered something in my mind, and I got to thinking about the great mathematicians, and I only know like three of them. But I thought, you know, if you put Sir Isaac Newton, Albert Einstein, and John F. Nash together, they still couldn't count that high. It's incalculable how much God thinks about you. Again, can I remind you how value-giving that is? How about when you get a text from a girl or a guy or your husband and your wife and they say, I, I, I was thinking about you. Thinking about me in the middle of the day on a Tuesday? Who does that? Only somebody who really, really loves me. Well, how often is God thinking about you? If his thoughts are innumerable. If they can't be calculated, I'm telling you, God cares for you. The evidence is here. But listen, God doesn't just care for you in an intangible way. He displayed it with tangible acts of love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But God commendeth his love towards you in that while you were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, uh, the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then were all dead. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Can I tell you, God cares for you. And he doesn't just think pleasant thoughts about you. He doesn't just think lovely thoughts about you. He actually put his care into action so that you would look at the action of God incarnate, Jesus Christ in the flesh, and say, it's undeniable that God values me because this is what he did for me. And then the fifth and final evidence of God's value for you is found in verses 23 and 24, and that is God helps you. The psalmist concludes this psalm with a prayer. 
And so as he is expressing how God knows him and how God sees him and how God made him and how God cares for him, he concludes with a prayer inviting God into his heart and into his thoughts. And he gives him this invitation. God, search me. Try me. Expose any sin that may be residing within me. And then he asks God, once you do that, then will you lead me in the right direction? The, the takeaway is that God will help me when I invite him and I follow him. So how do I know that God cares for me? How do I know that God loves me? How do I know that God values me? Because God will help me. All I've got to do is ask. He will help me if I invite him. He will help me if I follow him. But you know, this seems to be the hardest part for us, doesn't it? It's really hard to invite God into the secret parts of your life, the recessed parts of your life, the private chambers of your hearts and minds, where sometimes we harbor thoughts that we don't want anybody else to know. And to invite him in, for the specific purpose of bringing those things to light, exposing those to the light of his holiness, and then for us to obediently follow him when he leads us away from that pet sin that we have been secretly hiding in our life. That, that's very hard for us to do. So it leads me to this question if God does care about me, and he knows that it's that hard for me sometimes to expose my own sin and to follow his way, why didn't God just do this automatically and save us all a lot of trouble? You ever thought about that? You ever got frustrated with yourself? Right? You have an area in your life that you're trying to work on, you're praying, God, God help me with my temper. Oh, Lord, I don't know why I get so aggravated. It's like I'm on edge all the time. And, and you pray about it, man. You give it to the Lord, and you've, you feel like you got some victory. And then, sure enough, you walk out the door, and somebody triggers you. And there it goes again. And then as soon as you calm down, you're like, oh, Lord, what's the matter with Why, 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 why? And so sometimes we think, well, why didn't God just program us better? You know, like, 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 write the program, Lord, so that I don't lose my temper, or so I don't do this, or I, I don't do that. Here's the answer. Because he values you so much that he will not force his will upon you. Though he has the power to do it, he respects your individual personhood too much. Let that sink in for a moment. That's the only explanation as to why God didn't make robots. It's the only explanation why God didn't make artificial intelligence, right? Because he values you so much that he will not force his will on you. He respects your individual personhood. I would say that that really ought to elevate the view that we have of our own individual personhood and the person of others and to realize that every person has a life of value. 
regardless of what their station in the, is in life, regardless of what uh, they may be able to contribute to the greater society. Every life is valuable. And so if you don't get anything else, get this. You are valuable to God. You are valuable to God, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter how far away from God you are. God wants a relationship with you. God made you. God sees you, God knows you, God cares about you, and God will help you if you will invite him in to your life. Would you bow with me this morning? So we bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment. We've got a lot to think about. The psalmist really did express a lot of facts to prove to us that we are valuable to God. Sadly, Sadly, too many people get their value from the wrong places. They get their value from what somebody else thinks of them. They get their value from whether or not they're in a relationship. They get their value from whether or not they've produced something of worth. When in fact, your value comes from God. And your value is indisputable because God made you. And God paid the highest price to save you. He sent his son to die on the cross for your sins. He did that for you. And he would have done that if it was only you. And so you are valuable to God the way that you are. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. That we are not just simply trying to motivate ourselves. That we are not simply trying to inspire love among one another by thinking happy thoughts and positive affirmations. But that we have the word of Almighty God. We have the truth that affirms and reaffirms every individual's value in your sight. So, Lord, I pray for those today who may be feeling like they are less than valuable because of how life has treated them. And may they discover their value in your sight. May they see themselves through your eyes. May they see your acts of love. And may they find the value that will help them reach their highest potential in life and their highest level of satisfaction as children of God. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.